Hey, good morning, Pillar family and friends. My name is John. I serve as one of the pastors for our church family. It's really good to see you. Uh, I love you guys, and I miss you. I really miss gathering with you. Thank you for spending this uh, your time with us this morning. I really appreciate it. So last week, we began a new series in the book of Galatians, and our series theme is this, Galatians, the Gospel of Freedom. Ron Koya kicked things off for us, and Ron, you got us off to a, a great start as always, so thank you for that last week. We, uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm preaching today, and then each week following for the remainder of our six-week series, we'll hear from different guys on our pastoral team, and that's, that's going to be really good for us and really good for our family, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it as well. So exploring Galatians chapter 1 last Sunday, Ron helped us see the absolute necessity of getting the gospel right. And we saw the gospel defined in verses 3 to 4. Ron pointed it out for us. Uh, It goes like this, if you have your Bible open, chapter 1, verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who, here's, here's the gospel, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. That right there is the good news of the gospel. Jesus gave himself to rescue rebels like you and me who were powerless to rescue themselves. And here's what really stuck with me all week. Ron, thanks for pointing this out. I mean, this really did stick with me all week. These words, according to the will of the Father. Uh, Just over and over again, uh, the Spirit used that this week to remind me that it was my Father's will to pursue me and adopt me into the family. He wanted me in the family. He wanted you in his family if you have repented and believed the good news of the gospel. But And here's, here's the ongoing good news of that. He still wants me. I mean, I, I, am a, I am a very imperfect son, a deeply flawed son with so many re- remaining rebel tendencies, but he still wants me in the family. Uh, so don't forget that on your worst of days. That's, that is the good news of the gospel for us. Now, considering just how good news, uh, how good the news of the gospel really is, you may have been surprised last week when we learned that Paul had to write this letter to call the church in Galatia back to living a life aligned with the gospel. You'd think, man, if the gospel is so good, why would anyone wander away? But they did. They had wandering hearts. We have wandering hearts. And so Paul had to write this letter in which he expressed deep disappointment, sorrow, even astonishment, just surprise at how quickly his friends in Galatia were deserting the Jesus who rescued them. By turning, here's how they deserted Jesus. Paul says they were turning to different gospels. Not that there were other gospels or different gospels. There's just one true gospel. It is a simple message. The gospel is a a beautiful message. It is a life-giving message. There's only one. And it's given clearly to us in Scripture, so clearly in the Word. And every other spiritual philosophy or man-made religious system is either a distortion of that true gospel or just straight up false. So Paul writes as a father calling his kids back home. He's calling them to rest in the, the truth of the gospel. He's calling them to live in their gospel identity and their gospel purpose. And family, I just want to pause and say this. That's how we need to approach our time in this book as well. It is a letter. It's from our Father. It's to us through the Spirit. And through Galatians, God calls our ever-wandering hearts back home to the gospel of freedom. So that's for us today. We're being called back, and tomorrow we'll be called back again. 
and the next day and the next and every moment that our heart begins to wander galatians calls us home let's listen to our father calling us back home paul knew that tragic consequences follow when we don't listen to that voice calling and when we don't reorient our hearts daily on the gospel of freedom there are personal consequences and community consequences for some personal ones we saw these uh, last week in verse 6 for example uh, one of the consequences is we actually desert Jesus. We walk away from him. In walking away, our hearts are deceived. We believe all kinds of foolishness. We go off the rails. I mean, Paul actually, we'll see this next week. Paul actually asks his friends in chapter 3, verse 1, he says it this way, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Did you know the word bewitched was even in the New Testament? There it is. And Paul's saying, when we turn from the gospel, it's as though our hearts have been bewitched. Rather than remaining close to Jesus, we run from him. We stop trusting him. We stop believing in his good, kind, kingly rule. And we attempt autonomy and self-rule, but that's unsustainable for us. We're not created for those things. We're created for dependence on Christ, and we're created to live under his kind, kingly rule. Uh, so that those expressions of our rebellion are unsustainable. There are community consequences too. Pride takes root and destroys relationships. Uh, we begin to view ourselves as morally superior to others when we wander from the gospel. In fact, all forms of perceived superiority, whether they're national, ethic, uh, ethnic, excuse me, racial, or moral, those all flow from a gospel absence or a gospel deficiency. Uh, fear arises when we wander from the gospel. We, rather than living confidently from who God says we are, we live in fear of how others view us. And so fear drives our choices, especially our relational choices. We choose to build relationships with people or avoid others based on how those choices will impact how other people will view me. So it gives birth to pride, to fear, and to religious burdens. What I mean by that is we as a community, when we're gospel deficient, will add to the gospel. We add our customs and we add our cultures and we expect others to conform to those customs and those cultures in order to be considered a fully accepted and approved member of God's family. Uh, Paul saw it happen. In Acts 15.1, we read of people that came down to a church and said, unless you guys are circumcised according to the, here's the word, custom of Moses, you can't be saved. You can't be a real Christian. The gospel says, no, the work of Jesus is enough. And it places not a period, but an exclamation point at the end of that sentence. The gospel is enough. So in this letter, Paul is writing to a church family which has wandered away from the gospel of freedom. And so they're suffering from pride. They're suffering from fear. They're distorting the gospel. It's no longer good news, which is freeing for rebels. Rather, for them, it was placing unbearable burdens on the shoulders of those who desperately needed rescue and relief. And that's what gospel-deficient religion always does, guys. Always. And so Paul shares a personal story in chapter 2 with his friends in Galatia, and he shares it with them to help them and to help us see what happens when we wander from the gospel of freedom. Our wandering brings consequences into every area of life. A look at chapter 2, verses 11 to 14 with me, if you would. I'll read them out loud. It says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself. Here's the word. Look at this. Fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas, a strong leader, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how in the world can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So here's what's going on in verse 11. Peter, Cephas, Peter, is guilty of his own heart wandering from the, go from the gospel. Now, guys, we have to catch this. You know, Peter was one of the apostles, right? So yet his own heart had wandered from the gospel in this situation. What do we need to see there? How about this? If an apostle's heart can wander from the gospel, you better believe that yours can and my can too. And so Paul did what a good brother would do. He sought Peter out face to face, went right to him, and he had a conversation with him. Well, what, what happened here? Well, the church in Antioch was a pretty solid mix of Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians, or Gentiles. And Peter, a Jew, understood that the gospel had set him free from ceremonial laws practiced by Jewish communities, which would have otherwise kept him from eating freely with his Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ. The gospel had set him free. So he enjoyed that freedom and he ate with them all the time, like family, like he should have with his church. But when some messengers came from James, and James was part of a, he was an apostle, uh, serving a primarily Jewish community where they had not experienced this freedom yet. And so messengers from him come down and Peter, um, Peter was afraid of what they would think of him. And so he quit sharing mealtime with his Gentile Christian brothers. And then Peter's example influenced every other Jewish Christian in the church family, even Barnabas, one of their stronger leaders. So basically what happened is they all practiced voluntarily socially distancing themselves from their Gentile brothers out of fear for their reputation. So what do we see at play here in their gospel deficiency? We see pride. There was a sense of moral superiority. We see fear. They were reacting uh, based on fear. And we see religious burdens by implication. In other words, by their actions, they were communicating to these non-Jewish Christians, well, you guys aren't good enough. You're, you're in the family, but not totally. You've got to do something to be better or um, be something better so that we can eat with you. You're not truly Christians or in the family. But what's the root behind that? What are the problem? What's the problem behind the problems? Paul points it out. He says their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And Peter had wandered from the gospel of freedom. Others wandered with him. And gospel deficiency split the church right in half. Guys, the consequences of personal gospel wanderings will always spill over into the lives of people around me with destructive consequences. It's uncontainable. Peter was out of, the, out of step with the gospel. And so the church was out of step and he needed a brother to come alongside of him and call him or call out some gospel cadence to help him to help him get back in step. I remember in boot camp like two decades ago, and one of the worst things was marching around in formation and being out of step. And sometimes when we were, quote, just nasty, our drill instructor would just kind of let us walk around as a gaggle. So we were in formation. We should be in step, but he wouldn't call anything out. There was no voice with which to mark our steps. 
And so we looked awful. We felt awful. It was embarrassing. He'd make it, made us hang our heads and we'd just walk around out of step. Well, that's exactly what happens to us, church, when we are not, when we are not at home in the gospel. We will be embar- embarrassingly out of step. And so what does Peter do or what does Paul do? He comes along P- uh, Peter and he calls out some gospel cadence. That's exactly what he does for Peter and for Barnabas and for us. And we need this gospel voice calling cadence for our hearts and for our church every day. And so that's what the rest of our passage really is. It's nothing more than gospel cadence with which or by which we can stay in step with the gospel. Now, maybe you're not feeling the cadence example, but you like music. You love to sing. Well, let's just be honest with each other. Uh, you don't stay on beat very well. You don't um, you don't, you need someone keeping time for you. And so again, the reminder is this, our hearts don't stay in step with the gospel on their own. We need gospel cadence. We need gospel rhythm. Our, the voice of our hearts don't keep time well with the gospel. So we need somebody keeping time for us. And God, the spirit uses the word and he uses his church to call that cadence out to our hearts to give us a gospel beat, if you will. Now, this short passage gives us three beats in our gospel cadence to keep our hearts in step with the gospel. Here's the first beat. Acceptance and approval in God's family comes through faith in Christ alone. We see that in verses 15 and 16. Let me read those for you. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because, listen, by works of the law, no one will be justified. Guys, acceptance and approval in God's family comes through faith in Christ alone. While we cannot be made right with God through our own good work, The good news of the gospel says that we are made right with God by faith in Jesus' good work on our behalf. So Paul introduces a critical word in this letter right here. You saw it. It's justified. The word justified. To be justified means that we are declared innocent of our rebellion and in right standing with the Father. Family, this is our greatest need in life. There is no other need that trumps this one. We stand guilty as uh, rebels who have run from our creating Father, and we have a complete inability to justify ourselves. I like the way that J.I. Packer helpfully summarizes justification. He, He says this, To justify in the Bible means to declare of a man on trial that he is not liable to any penalty, but is entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. So it's not just a removal of the negative, it's a giving of the positive as if we had kept the law. Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation, that of acquittal and legal immunity. And then here's this old, old document, the Heidelberg Catechism. It talks about our justification too. It asks this question. It says, how are you righteous before God? Now, the connection between righteousness and justification is this. Our righteousness, or God's view, our, our standing before God is right, the righteousness is the outcome of our justification. And here's what it has to say. Only by true faith in Jesus Christ are we made righteous. In spite of the fact that my conscience accuses me, 
that I have grievously sinned against all the commandments of God and have not kept any one of them, and that I am still ever prone to all that is evil. Nevertheless, God, without any merit of my own, out of pure grace, grants me the benefits of the perfect expiation of Christ, Christ making things right for me, imputing to me his righteousness and holiness as if, listen, this is key, as if I had never committed a single sin or had ever been sinful and having fulfilled myself all the obedience which Christ has carried out for me, if only I accept such favor with a trusting heart. Guys, that reality is really good news for me because I am a rebel and my story is a rebel story. I have so many remaining rebel tendencies. Just ask my wife. So how do I take hold of this justification? I can't get it for myself. I can't produce it. Paul says here very clearly, it's only ours through faith in Jesus' work on our behalf, period. And faith is simply trust or dependence. That's all faith is. Uh, all people are persons of faith. Uh, people like to categorize themselves as persons of faith or not, but the reality is that everybody's a person of faith. Uh, we, Whether you are religious, agnostic, or atheist, you have faith. We are all people of faith. The only difference between us is the object of our faith. See, as rebels, our faith is in ourselves. Maybe it's in philosophy. Maybe it's in science. Maybe it's in politics. Maybe even a religious system. Rebecca McLaughlin uh, tweeted this this week, and I really liked it. She said, faith is like time. We all have the same amount. We just spend it on different things. She's right, you know. A Christian is somebody who has spent their faith, if you will, to use her words, on Christ alone for justification. But how are we accepted by a holy God? Paul says here, only through faith in Jesus' work on our behalf. Where does our righteousness come from? Only through faith in Jesus' work on our behalf. How are we approved of as sons and daughters before a holy God? Only through faith in Jesus' work on our behalf. How are we kept in the family? Well, you guessed it. Only through faith in the work of Jesus on our behalf. So why should Peter have continued eating with his Gentile brothers and sisters? Because they were all equally justified by Jesus. They were members of the same family, fully accepted and fully approved of by the same father. So to suggest that they could not eat together, to suggest that they had to separate, to suggest that Gentiles had to adopt some custom or culture in addition to the completed work of Christ was an offense to our father and a spiritual abuse to their brother and sisters. Guys, acceptance and approval in God's family is through faith alone in Christ alone. That's the first beat of our gospel cadence. The second beat of our gospel cadence is this. Don't rebuild what the gospel tore down. We see that in verses 17 to 18. Paul writes, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. No way. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now, this section feels tricky. I mean, I wrestled with it for a while. It feels complicated, but let's stay focused and keep it simple. Paul is simply saying here that the gospel of freedom tears something down. It tears down the false idea that I can justify myself through keeping God's law, right? Through my own work. That idea is torn down by the gospel. We're not enslaved to that idea anymore. 
It's not a burden that we bear. And we have freedom in the gospel of Jesus through faith in his work on our behalf. But some in Paul's community suggested, man, Paul, this kind of preaching is really going to lead Christians to live however they want, right? You're going to lead them into sin. You're even going to make Jesus responsible for that sin since we run to him instead of running to God's law for our justification. And to that, you saw the answer. Paul says, no, no way. You're missing the point. Actually, the point is exactly opposite. The opposite is true. If you go back to the law in an attempt to motivate right living in your heart, all you will do is place an unbearable burden on your shoulders and daily show yourself to be a rebel in need of rescue because of your inability to keep the law. So don't rebuild what the gospel tore down. Guys, we got to be careful for those of us who are parenting too. We tend to parent through the law, but we need to remember uh, how damaging that can be. It was damaging to us. It was destructive for us, and it can really impact our children as well. Don't rebuild what the gospel has torn down for your kids. But John, you're like, man, you don't know my heart, dude. Like, I feel untethered without the constraints of the law. I need that obligation to keep me on the straight and narrow. I need some guilt and shame to keep me motivated. Well, you're partially right. Uh, you're right in that your heart does need help. You're right in that you need life-giving and life-changing motivation. But here's Paul's final point. You won't find that help or motivation in the law. You can only find that in Jesus, and he is far better than the law. Look at how Paul finishes this passage, beginning in verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so, I, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God because if, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Guys, again, Paul's point here is simple. Let's not lose it in the words. Jesus is better than the law. That's his point. Jesus is what your heart needs. Your heart doesn't need the law. Your heart needs Jesus. Look, the law did one thing for me. You saw it in the text, right? Paul said it killed me. The, the law killed me. Uh, he said... Through the law, I died. That's what the law did for you. The law didn't rescue me. The law didn't rescue you. It condemned me. It killed me. So why in the world would we run back there for the source of my life, motivation, discipline, strength, or anything? It killed me. But the law did do one really good thing for me, one gift. It showed me over and over and over again in this painful death how desperately I needed rescue from myself and my sin and from the wrath of God. And it pointed me to Jesus, the one and only true law keeper who obeyed perfectly and fulfilled the law on my behalf. That's what Paul means when he says, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Guys, we don't live to the law. We live to God. But how? How do we live to God, you ask? Well, our rebel self needs to die daily. That's what Paul says. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. My rebel self was crucified with Christ on the cross by faith. So it's no longer I, my rebel self who lives, no more autonomy, 
no more self-sufficiency, no more attempted self-rule. I reject all of those as expressions of my rebellion. It's no longer I who lives and rules over myself, but Christ lives in me. And so the rebel needs to be joined to Christ in his crucifixion so that the rescued rebel can live through Christ's resurrection. Guys, that's what we need right here. I don't need the law living in me. You don't need to be constrained by the law. You don't, you don't need to live in the law. We need Christ living in us, period. We need to find our lives in Jesus, not the law or a law or a higher moral code. We need it in Christ. And we find our lives in Christ by repenting and believing for the first time and as we go on daily repenting and believing the gospel. That's how Paul wraps it up. Look, he says, the life I live now in the flesh. He's saying the way I live now as a Christian, there's a new way. It's not by the law. I'm not motivated by that obligation. Here's how I live. I live by faith in Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. I think if Paul were here, he'd ask you this question. Did the law ever love you? Was it good to you? Did the law give itself for you? Did the law rescue you? Guys, we know the answer to those questions. No, we stood condemned. The law killed us. The hope and the help that our hearts need will be found alone in the one who loved us and gave himself for us at our worst. If right living, if true life was found in any other way, then Jesus died for no purpose. But he did die for a purpose. And Jesus is committed to accomplishing that purpose in you. Jesus is better. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would help our unbelief. This is all really good news, but our hearts still tend to disbelieve. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for giving yourself for us. Hello again, family. I am joined now uh, by my friend Kento Eyre, and Kento and his wife Becca are members of our church family. And Kento, you just celebrated your third wedding anniversary. We did. Congratulations. Thank you. Not a lot of options for where to go and where to celebrate, but yeah. you made do. Yep, we yeah. sure did. Yeah. It, was, it was fun. Um, Good. Well, we're really glad that you guys are part of our church family, and congratulations on the the anniversary. Thank you. Definitely uh, something to celebrate. So Kento joined me today to, to work through just a couple questions that may be helpful for you to consider on the backside of this sermon, just as we really seek to kind of think through this text and apply it to our week. So the first question I had for Kento was, given the reality that Paul is writing something like a father, calling the hearts of his kids back on their wandering from the gospel, that's, that's, that's the posture with which he writes. Um, and the posture with which we should receive the letter, because we have wandering hearts too. What What is just one way that this text speaks to your own heart to kind of call you back to the gospel? Um, when I think about this portion of Galatians specifically, and just kind of what we went over, um, what's encouraging to me is is knowing that, you know, though my heart wanders, I personally know my heart wanders. Um, but uh, even so, even when... Uh, in the depths of my sin, I was an enemy of God, and it was much worse than even my heart just wandering. Yeah. Um, but even in that moment, um, Christ still died for mm -hmm. me and still loves me. And so what was displayed on the cross 
um, gives me hope for mm. uh, even in the times in the future when I wander, um, knowing that uh, my um, relationship and my uh, standing with him is is justified yeah. um, through what was displayed yeah. on the cross. Yeah, that's a really good answer. If he would go to that extent to rescue you as a rebel who is just, honestly, in our rebellion, we live lives that are hideous to a, a righteous and holy God. Um, and if he would go to that extent to rescue us in all of that ugliness, to what extent wouldn't he go to keep us in the family yeah. and to show us his love? For sure. Yeah, that's good. Uh, the second question I had for Kento was this, that Paul helped his brother Peter get back in step with the gospel by calling out some gospel cadence uh, for him. So what are what are some practices? I know you, you and uh, Becca are, are really involved in the life of a missional community. What are some practices that you guys have in place to help each other keep in step with the gospel? I think one of the biggest things that when I was thinking about this um, that I really appreciate about our MC, um, shout out to Jeff Hill, uh, up, is Jeff? Um, in, our, in our MC, no matter what topic or what subject or what passage we're talking about, uh, Jeff specifically, but all of us together in our MC, um, I just, I'm really thankful for the fact that we all tie it back to what is, what it's about. And it's about Jesus and uh, what he did for us on the cross and the gospel. Um, and it's, it's all tied back to that. And it can be tied back to that and it should be um, yeah. because that's what it's about that's good. Um, and then finally uh, another thing that I'm really encouraged by in our MC is at the end of every MC we always uh, share our burdens share our prayer requests um, what, what's kind of going on in our, in our lives and then we take a moment and another member will pray specifically mm. for uh, whatever that scenario or situation is um, and it's, it's like just before somebody else shares right like, yeah yep. I love yep. that um, and it's just really awesome to um, have uh, that kind of uh, care and and know that you know specific people are praying for those specific things yeah. and and just the gospel on display in that way through other people within the MC. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And I know you guys have had to adapt as an MC. All of our missional communities have. So mm -hmm. you went from meeting in person to what does it look like for you guys now? Uh, it's 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 fun and it's interesting for sure. Meeting on Zoom, um, it's it's something that we're we're not used to all all uh, all the time, I guess, but um, I think it's it's definitely a blessing that we still have that opportunity to meet and that we can do that um, through Zoom and yeah, um, yeah I, I guess you don't have to dress up as much. You know, you can <laughs> you still wear your sweatpants and be at MC. But yeah, uh, regardless, it's it's I mean, I've I, been really I wear thankful. sweatpants. To my MC anyway, but. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Cool. Uh, the third question was: We were introduced to the word justified in this passage. It really. That's a really a centerpiece word for the gospel. And uh, when we were talking about justification, I shared a, a definition from J.I. Packer. And then we also read from the Heidelberg Catechism. So if Galatians focuses on the gospel of freedom, what are just one or two ways that justification um, sets us free? Just the way that it's good news for us that it is this beautiful, liberating truth. I don't know what came to mind when you were thinking about that. Uh, so I, I wrote two things down. Um, first off, uh, for me, justification sets us free um, because I know forever and always um, I'm no longer judged by my own works. Mm. Um, and it's all, I will always fall short no matter how hard I try to keep the law. Um, but I will be judged by the perfect work of Christ and what in his life and what he displayed on the cross um, and in his great love 
and and that is something that I receive as my own, yeah. um, and that's that's radical to me that um, something like that can happen, and it's you know through faith and trust in Jesus that that is then imparted to me. That's that's pretty incredible. So that was point one, and then on the flip side, um, I think I'd be remiss without thinking about the fact that in turn, not only does did I receive what was due Christ, but Christ received what was mm. due me, yeah. and he he received. Um, that punishment and the justice of God, which was still intact and still held true because, you know, God is a just God. Um, he, Christ received what I, what I deserved. And so those were the two things that I kind of drew from there that really impacted me when I think about justification um, really is that concept of Jesus in my place. Yeah, and, and I love that. Awesome. Because in the law, we're loaded down with rightful guilt, but also the shame that comes with that. And when we're trying to self-justify, like for all of the people in our church family who come from religious backgrounds, really our driving motive is fear. Like we fear standing before God. Um, at least we should, and maybe some people don't, but we we should if we come to know how holy God is. But the gospel replaces that fear with love. It's an entirely different motive. We're not, we're not, it's not a, a fear that's driving us. We're motivated by, by love, what Christ has done on our behalf. Yeah, beautiful. So uh, finally, I'll let you have an open-ended question so you can answer it however you like, and then you can say whatever you'd like to our, our church family as well. And that is this. In all of this, in this passage, uh, which gospel truth was most encouraging for you today and kind of as you press into a new week, and, and what would you like to, to say, encourage our church family with? Yeah, I think uh, in general, you know, when I just think about the gospel and um, my relationship with God, um, what is most encouraging is, again, we talked about this a little bit, but, you know, the process of justification, this one point in time, that it, it happened, it's done. I'm justified in Christ and, you know, praise God that um, that is the case in my, in, through my faith in Christ, um, I receive, you know, the basically Christ's perfect work and that's what God sees. Um, but out of that is I, I'm no longer constrained to this fear, like you said, of living according to the law. Um, and really my motivation at this point to live a good life and live um, in ways that are following God's law is mm-hmm. is motivated out of love, mm-hmm. um, love for God and what, what he did for me. And so, you know, in, in justification and then through this continual sanctif- sanctification of my life, um, it's where I find true freedom, uh, freedom to live uh again, no longer constrained by the law. And that's, that's super encouraging and it's good. awesome to know. It's good. Yeah. So. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to think through these questions and to, to give, share some personal answers because they're obviously going to be shared with our church family, but yeah. the YouTube world as well. So yep. and I appreciate your willingness to, to share that. Yeah. For sure. Um, so family, man, like I said, I miss you guys. I love you praying for you. You have a, a team of pastors that are praying for you regularly and we're really looking forward to the day hopefully in the near future nobody really knows when we can actually gather in person again until then of course we are always available for you and uh, we are praying for you regularly i've asked kento to uh to pray for us from galatians uh as as we wrap our time together so kento if you want to close our time yep, of prayer of course all right let's pray Dear God, Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for who you are um, and for the fact that you love us uh, so much. Thank you so much that uh, you are such a a majestic and powerful God and um, truly a God to be feared and uh, 
Uh, we stand in awe of you, and yet you are still uh, a loving and personal God. And that um, I'm just so thankful that we can have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. Uh, Lord, as Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Um, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who lived and gave himself for me. Um, God, I just pray that over uh, myself and over uh, the Pillar Church family um, as we go through our weeks, um, especially in this difficult season, God, I just pray that uh, every day that we live, um, we die to self, um, crucify uh, in Christ, and that we can uh, just seek you and um, live a life that honors you. Uh, not motivated by fear of law, but motivated um, by your great love for us. Uh, we love you, God, and we praise you in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kenneth. Yeah.